So just how far down do you want to go? Well, we could talk it out over a cup of joe And you could look deep into my eyes Like I was a supermodel What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to the recap of AEW. And, of course, if you heard the theme song, you know that I'm riding solo for the AEW recap yet again. Um, Gator was supposed to be here today. He had every intention of being here today. But apparently, um, right around the time that the cancer cells showed up to the ring, Gator was called to go 
to the school again. I called him uh, before I came here to record this show to find out what was going on. Apparently, he has no idea what's going on, but for whatever reason, he was called into the fucking school because apparently this school cannot run without Gator Ricky Ross. Nobody in that school has a shitting clue what to do if Gator is not in the building. If Gator is not there to solve the problems or preserve the peace or make sure the kids know how to cut promos properly, apparently the rest of the trainers are as lost as an illegal immigrant at a vote for Trump rally. Gator needs to be there to keep everyone in check. At least that's the message that I'm fucking getting right now. And I'm trying very, very hard not to be angry about this, but it's very difficult for me. Now, Gator's trying to say it's not his fault. It's not his fault. He must have repeated that a hundred fucking times to me. And here's the thing. I get that it's not his fault. I know I've been angry at Gator in the past, but I get that it's not his fault. I'm aware of that. The fact that it's not his fault is why I've continued to try to work things out with him and keep him on the show despite all this shit that has gone down. If I thought for one second that any of this was Gator's fault, I'd have fired him a long time ago. So I don't think this is his fault. It doesn't change the fact, though, that I'm still upset about it, and I feel like this is an ongoing issue that is never going to be solved. Because here's the thing, and I'll use this as an example. For those of us out there that have 9 to 5 jobs, we all know that there are times where you have to call out from work. Sometimes you call out because you're sick, sometimes you're taking a personal day because you have some family issues to deal with, or sometimes you feel like you just need a mental health day and you take time off. And from time to time, we all do this. Everybody at their job does this. And for the most part, bosses get that. Now, if you call out from your job and you do it within a reasonable amount of time, they can't really legally get upset with you. But everyone knows if you're a person who constantly calls out, if you were to call out from your job every single day for like a week, or if like at least once a week or twice a week or whatever, you're constantly calling out and you make a habit of it, whether it's a legit excuse or not, eventually at some point, your boss is going to write you up. And if it happens enough times, your boss may even fire you. Because even though you have legit reasons for your call-outs, the boss is still going to see you as an unreliable employee. And at the end of the day, they still have a business to run. And in my case, I still have a show to do. I got to put these shows out every week. Every Tuesday, there is an episode of NXT. And I have to recap it and put it out for you guys. Every Wednesday, there is an episode of AEW. I have to do that episode, that recap, and put this out to you. It's got to come out, except for those times, mostly during the winter, where we take a vacation. We usually take a winter break, you know, take some time off when we get really, really burned out. But our goal is to gut it out to get to that winter break, unless there's like a major emergency. Like if I have a major emergency on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, obviously I would take that particular week off if need be. But for the most part, I commit to Tuesdays and Wednesdays. If I take time off from the show, it's rare for me to take time off. And I usually take it when I absolutely need to. Zach is the same way. Like, since he's been the NXT correspondent, he's maybe missed one show. I can't even remember what the show was, but I think it was like, it might have been the 4th of July episode. I think he missed that because he had to work on the 4th of July and was not able to watch NXT. So I had to take care of it, and I did. And because that was Zach's one time missing an episode, I wasn't as upset with him as I have been at Gator over these constant, you know, missings of the show. And also, I'm starting to feel like Gator's heart is not in AEW anymore. I, I honestly believe that. I know deep down Gator hates watching AEW. He doesn't like it. He only follows it for the show and also for the students because a lot of them have AEW related questions, so he watches it. And I know that Gator's heart is set on other things that are show related. I know he loves doing the classic pay-per-view reviews because he loves classic wrestling. He hates modern wrestling but he loves classic wrestling. And I know that off the air, and I'll tell this secret, he has been on me time and time again about bringing back Gator Ruins Your Childhood. He really wants to resurrect Gator Ruins Your Childhood. He has a list of movies that he wants to ruin. Most of them are Disney-related. And I also know he wants to redo Fifty Shades of Gator, for those that used to listen on the Blog Talk radio days, because obviously we because of the Blog Talk footage is gone, we don't have that footage anymore. So he wants to 
do Fifty Shades of Gator. And I know that he has more love and passion for that than he does for AEW. And even though I like those segments too, and I also want to bring them back, it's easier to do those type of segments with Gator because they're not having to be recorded on a set day. Gator and I can sit down, go over his schedule, and work out dates to record that stuff that work for both of us. So it's a lot smoother of a thing to do. But what Gator is having a hard time understanding, because I'll say this one more time, I know he's going to be listening to this, and we're probably going to have an argument, so I'm going to clarify this, and Gator, if you're listening, know that I am clarifying this before you call me. I know the school has called you a lot. I know you have to work. I know that's where you make your money. So I understand all of that, okay? I understand. But what I need you to understand, and what I need anybody that wants to be a correspondent on the show to understand, is that by being the AEW correspondent, there is a deeper commitment that needs to be made. If somebody wanted to be the NXT correspondent, that means you gotta be ready every Tuesday night to talk NXT and be ready for the pay-per-views that are affiliated with NXT. If someone wanted to be the AEW correspondent like Gator is, you have to commit every Wednesday night. Like, obviously, Collision, we already knew we couldn't commit to that because both of us work on Saturdays. Gator does shows and I do shows. And we also agreed that Rampage was never fucking important enough for us to fucking watch because we're also occasionally doing shows on Friday nights. So it's a lot different of a scenario when you're a correspondent for a show. Like if I wanted to bring back Raw and SmackDown to the Boochcast, which I'm not going to do because I already do that on the male soap opera moment with the Wens. But if I was going to have a Raw correspondent, I would want somebody who's free on Monday nights to do that. That means every Monday night, you got to be free to watch Monday Night Raw and be ready to record when Raw goes off the air. Same thing with SmackDown. You would have to commit to Friday Night SmackDown and be ready to watch the show and record the recap when SmackDown goes off the air. And if we were doing the main roster pay-per-views, you would have to commit to those as well. Be ready to watch them and recap them when the show goes off the air. That's the responsibility that goes into doing those shows. And for the record, I never asked Gator to be the AEW correspondent. He volunteered. He raised his hand. He stepped up and asked for the job. Now, granted, at the time, he didn't have that many responsibilities, but he asked for the job, and I gave him the job because Zach couldn't take AEW anymore. He couldn't stand it. So Gator volunteered to step in, and I took Zach out of that and put him with NXT because that's what he wanted to do. And if Gator having to go to the school or Gator, you know, missing shows was not something that was happening week after week after week after week after week, it wouldn't bother me so much if it happened on occasion. But because Gator would be missing for weeks on end and then show up for a couple episodes and then have to leave for a bunch of more weeks again and then come back for a few weeks again and even Gator earlier asking about wanting a vacation, which was that part made me angry because it's like, vacation, you've been gone for weeks. So I realized after the phone call I had with Gator, even before the phone call with Gator, I had an epiphany before I sat down to record this show and it's that this is a problem that is never going to be solved. This is something that if I continue to work with Gator on AEW, this is something I'm going to have to accept. I'm going to have to deal with. And I've learned I can't do it because eventually I'm going to snap, assuming I haven't already, and I'm going to end up just firing Gator from the show altogether in a fit of angry rage. And I don't want to do that because I do consider Gator a friend. I do consider Gator a brother in the business. And I know that this is not Gator's fault entirely. So I thought about this and the conclusion that I have come to is I'm going to give Gator what he wants. Gator wants a vacation. He's got one, but it's a vacation with a twist. And that is I am going to keep Gator on for the classic pay-per-view reviews. And we're going to work out some time to bring back Gator Ruins Your Childhood and the Fifty Shades of Gator. But I am going to also give Gator a permanent vacation from AEW. I have decided today Gator Ricky Ross is no longer the AEW correspondent. I am releasing Gator of his all elite wrestling obligations. He is no longer obligated to show up on Wednesday nights. He is no longer obligated to worry about the pay-per-views because I know deep down he can't do it. And by that, I mean his schedule wise. Obviously, he can still recap. He has a great mind for the business, but I know that it's it's just too stressful to deal with. And I know he doesn't really want to be part of AEW. And quite frankly, I don't want to feel like I'm pulling teeth anymore. So I am releasing Gator. 
creator from AEW. I will handle AEW by myself unless somebody out there wants to be the AEW correspondent. But before you guys start DMing me, before you start reaching out to me, saying you want to do the AEW recaps, understand what you're signing up for. That means you are committing every Wednesday night, unless we go on break, every Wednesday night to showing up and recapping AEW. That every time they have a pay-per-view, when that pay-per-view goes off the air, you're going to show up and you're going to record. Because we record the same day it airs. Now, the catch is, once we're done talking and we hang up the phone, you go back to your originally scheduled life. I stay here and edit this shit. So I'm the one that's pulling the biggest all-nighter out of everybody. That's why it's hard for me to be sympathetic to people who want time off from the show. Because I'm putting in the extra work. Y'all are just talking. I'm the one that's editing. I'm the one that's producing. I'm the one that's sharing the links. I'm the one that's getting it out there. I'm the one that's doing the heavy lifting. And I don't mind doing the heavy lifting because I have a strong work ethic. So I don't mind doing it. But understand, if you're anyone that's looking to be the new AEW correspondent, if you're not willing to put the work in, do not ask to be part of this show. If you cannot commit to every Wednesday night, unless otherwise announced, to record AEW, if you can't show up the night of the pay-per-view, once that pay-per-view goes off the air to recording with me, don't ask for the job. Don't ask to be part of the show if you can't put the commitment in. Now again, I am not kicking Gator permanently off the show. Gator will still be involved in classic pay-per-view reviews. We're going to bring back Gator Ruins Your Childhood. We're going to bring back the Fifty Shades of Gator, and I'm sure there's going to be other things. I'm going to have Gator included in as well. I'm just not going to have him on AEW anymore because I know he can't make a regular commitment. So rather than continue to have the same arguments over and over and over again, I am just going to stop it here so this doesn't escalate to something that's going to cause permanent damage to the friendship and working relationship that Gator and I already have. So, Gator, you are free. Sing the sound of freedom and enjoy it. And on that note, I'm going to jump into uh, AEW here. Uh, I'm going to do what we always do at the beginning of these, which is hit the high spots of uh, Collision. Uh, And the first thing I'm going to address is uh, the promo by CM Punk, who uh, finally reveals what's in the red bag, which we know is, we forget what he was, the AEW championship that he never lost. And he puts his X symbol, he spray paints it on the belt and says he is the real world's champion. Uh, He says he'll be competing at all in, but we have no idea what match he'll be in because he said he's probably the first person to address all in. Uh, Then Ricky Starts comes out uh, after CM Punk says he's beaten him twice, but he cheated both times. So he doesn't know if he's uh can accept being a cheater. Uh, Punk says no one's beaten him submitted for the title. It has his blood on it. And the X means he's straight edge and he's better than you. And then Ricky Starks demands a shot at the title and uh, Punk announces that because of the the referees not being able to do their jobs he's appointed a guest referee Ricky says he's totally fine with it so next week on Collision or I should say this coming Saturday on Collision uh, we will have CM Punk versus Ricky Starks for the real world's championship that's what they're calling this and the special guest referee will be Ricky the Diva Steamboat that's right the Diva himself is going to be the guest referee and I'm sure there's a lot of fans that are eager to meet him and shake his hand just to make sure you got 20 bucks in your pocket because uh, if you don't he won't even look you in the eye um then of course this is going to be an interesting match i don't know if punk's going to drop the title on collision then again crazier shit has happened but i like the fact that punk said he's probably the first person to address all in because here's the thing that's been bothering me they've been talking about all in for months now pretty much most of the year people in the uk have been buying tickets there's like 80,000 tickets sold. Everybody's bragging about the fact that AEW is damn near selling out Wembley Stadium, which it's a flex, but it's not that big of a flex because it is the UK. And what people don't understand is for wrestling to sell out in the UK is not that difficult. And the reason it's not that difficult is because the UK doesn't get a lot of mainstream wrestling in their country. WWE doesn't go to England often. For AEW, this is their first time going to England. So more people are likely to come out in the UK than they do in the States. And as I mentioned before, wrestling gets more respect overseas than it does here in the States because we're used to it and we see it all the time. Like if AEW is able to to sell out a stadium in America, I would have more respect. 
respect. But in the UK, not so much. But the fact that, as usual, they've gone all this time promoting the fact they're going to be in Wembley Stadium. They haven't even booked any matches for it, which is an ongoing issue that I have with AEW, which is they are terrible at building up to pay-per-views. They always wait till like the month of the pay-per-view to finally start putting matches on the card. Again, Tony Khan treats booking a pay-per-view like a kid doing a school project that's due months from the date that it's announced. Like You might have a project that's due in three months. He wakes up the week of that and go, holy shit, this is due in a couple days or this is due tomorrow? Fuck! And he scrambles to put shit together. And it's frustrating. If you're going to advertise a pay-per-view, you should have at least a couple matches booked already. Then when you get closer to the date, then you can add undercard matches. But at least have a main event set the day you announce the fucking pay-per-view and try to build to it. It's like, it's, it's the laziest form of booking I've ever seen. So the fact that Punk is the first one to actually bring it up besides Tony Khan is goddamn ridiculous. Like they constantly remind people, we're going to be in Wembley Stadium. We're going to be in Wembley Stadium. Okay, where are the fucking matches? Like people are buying tickets to this show without even the matches on the card being announced. So you're walking in assuming you're going to see a kick-ass card. And for me, that's not acceptable. I need to see what the fuck matches you're going to book. Because what's the point in selling out the goddamn stadium if the matches you book are garbage and not going to deliver? So no, I'm not excited for all in because I haven't seen any matches booked yet. I don't give a shit. Let me see the card. Let me see what matches are going to be on here that's worth my time as a fan. Now obviously as an analyst I'm going to be watching regardless because I got to recap it. But as a fan I want to see what the card is before I jump up and down and get fucking excited and all jittery and shit. Because how many times have we seen people hype up Wrestlemania then we see the card is shit or the card's supposed to be exciting but the overall pay-per-view ended up being the drizzling shits. We've had a a lot of WrestleManias over the years that have been shit. Now, this past WrestleMania was awesome because the only two shitty moments was the Fatal 4-Way women's tag match and the finish to Roman versus Cody. Other than that, the pay-per-view was fucking stellar. Nights 1 and 2. Night 1 was perfection. Night 2 had the two shitty moments on it. So, overall, that's great. But we've had WrestleManias in the past that sucked the gay out of Liberace's anus through a bendy straw. So, I'm sorry. Why would I get excited? Like, I was hoping they were going to put Punk versus Starks in fucking England and maybe have Ricky the Diva Steamboat be the ref there but no we can't do that instead we're gonna put it on next Saturday on Collision because then again you do need a reason to have people tune in on Saturday nights but again Collision is such a great fucking show I don't think you need to put big matches on free TV with Collision you need to do that with Dynamite because Dynamite fucking sucks most of the time but Collision has been batting a thousand it's the superior show fact then you have Mercedes Martinez versus Kira Hogan uh uh, obviously, Mercedes beat the fuck out of Kiera, which is good for Mercedes because she needs to look strong because she's rarely on TV. But then again, neither is Kiera Hogan, and I know Kiera, and she is actually a badass bitch. And I legit love Kiera Hogan. I've seen her wrestle on the indies multiple times. So I've seen her over the years be a kick-ass fucking wrestler. Mercedes, she's also good. And of course, they talk about her facing uh, Chris Statlander for the TBS Championship next Saturday. And all I can say is, I hope Mercedes goes over. The fact that Statlander's walking around with that title is goddamn ridiculous, and it goes into an overall theme that AEW has that pisses me off, but I don't want to talk about it right now because I don't want to give away shit that I'm going to be ranting about and concern of Dynamite. And then, of course, the main event, FTR versus MJF and Adam Cole for the tag team titles. This was some of the best tag team wrestling I've ever seen, and even though I'm a little upset that MJF and Adam Cole aren't the tag team champions, I love the fact they didn't break up. I mean, FTR ultimately won the match, did a hell of a job because um, uh, Adam Cole was about to get hit with a shatter machine, but MJF pushed him out of the way, sacrificed himself, took the pin in the middle of the ring, which was rare because the champ had not been pinned up until this point, and then he's sitting there beating himself up because he blew the match, but Cole reminds MJF he's still the world champion. Everything's okay. I still love you. Cole's celebrating, but then MJF grabs the title, and he teases like he's going to hit Adam Cole with it, like he's struggling, and Adam Cole basically looks out of the corner of his eyes, sees MJF with the belt, 
out and says, I knew it. I knew he was going to stab me in the back. So he just closes his eyes, puts his arms out and says, do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. Like he's accepting the fact he's going to do it. MJF is struggling. He throws the title away. Cole looks around, realizes MJF's not going to do it. And they hug in the middle of the ring. I love it. Because the whole time we thought MJF was going to turn on Adam Cole, the devil was going to be the snake. Or we thought Adam Cole was going to swerve everybody and he was going to turn heel. Because he had this master plan. But they embraced in the ring, which I love. Because I don't want to see this tag team break up. It's super over. It's super great. This is a side of MJF we've never seen before. Or we caught glimpses of in the past, but never thought we would see. And it's just beautiful. And I want to say more about it, but I don't want to skip over anything that happened on Dynamite. So I'm just going to say, amazing tag team match. Love that MJF and Adam Cole are still together, despite losing to FTR. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to kick off AW Dynamite, the 200th episode of Dynamite. And we're going to kick things off with our first official match of the evening. We got us a tag team match here. We have Chris Jericho and Konosuke Takeshita with Don Callis versus Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia. This overall was a decent match. I felt like it could have been better, but the biggest problem with this match was Daniel Garcia. Here's the thing. Daniel Garcia is an incredible worker. I love watching him wrestle. Him and Jericho trading the shots back and forth I thought was great. But this stupid fucking dance move that Garcia does is goddamn ridiculous. It's like every time he throws a punch, he has to start dancing constantly. It's fucking stupid. If Daniel Garcia is going to have a goofy dance move, he needs to fucking time it better. Like, toss Chris Jericho out of the ring and then do the dance. Or hit Chris Jericho with a big move when he's on the ground and then do the dance. No one should be fucking dancing while your opponent is fucking staring at you. Every time he does that, that Jericho should slap him right in the fucking face. It's like when Cassidy does those fucking shin kicks and people still fucking stand there. Even after four goddamn years. The dance is getting stupid. And of course, Garcia does his typical spot monkey bullshit. Takeshna, you know, he's kind of reverting back a little bit but still great to watch. Jericho as always is great to watch. And in the end, Don Callis hit, hits uh, Garcia with the bat. Jericho saw him do it. Jericho looks upset but he still pins Garcia 1-2-3. And then he's just kind of sitting there all confused, even though he leaves with the Callis family. Now, it seems like they're implying that Chris Jericho has chosen the Don Callis family over the Jericho Appreciation Society. I don't think Jericho has done that fully yet. And I'll explain why later on in the recap. But I think Jericho isn't happy with what Don Callis did. But at the same time, he wanted the win. You know, he didn't want to risk, you know, Sam, you know, Sammy Guevara coming in, hitting him with a big move and pinning him one, two, three. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you take a win and way you can get it. So Jericho pinned him, but it wasn't like he pinned him with a smile on his face. He did it reluctantly because he still wanted to win the match. But you could tell he wasn't happy how that went down. And I kind of like the storytelling there. It's kind of like when when Sammy G took the win in, in one of the matches, but he didn't like the way it went down. With, like with Darby Allen and Pockets. You know, Garcia did some type of cheap shot move. Sammy took the pin anyway, but still shook their hands and looked at Garcia like, what the fuck? So that's why I'm not fully convinced yet that Jericho's joining the Don Callis family, but either way Jericho tried to make this a great match but Daniel Garcia fucked it up with the overzealous dancing. Then we cut to the backstage area with Tony Khan who thanks everybody for watching. He says, AEW celebrating an important milestone on the road to All In. Khan thanks the fans, AEW roster and its staff and a video package highlights the history of AEW. Some of the moments are great, some of the moments are shit and just overall it didn't need to be there. It was just a hey, here's what we've done over 200 episodes and I guess it was okay, but I wasn't that interested. Then we cut to Matt Menard, who confronts Chris Jericho backstage and tells him there's a mandatory Jericho Appreciation Society meeting next week. So basically in this case, we're now going to find out next week officially if Jericho is going to stay with the Jericho Appreciation Society or if they're going to be disbanded and he goes with the Don Cowles family. So this is going to be a very intriguing episode to tune into next week just to see how this is going to go down. But either way, very intense moment because again it's Matt Menard being serious which you rarely ever see so the anticipation for this meeting really makes my nipples hard 
And on that note, we now cut to an in-ring segment with uh, Jack Perry and Jerry Lynn. Uh, FTW champion Jack Perry calls out Jerry Lynn. Lynn comes to the stage that he'd love to make an example out of Perry, but that would be child abuse. Lynn says he would never get cleared to compete, but he called a good friend of his who used to wrestle on ECW and can still go. And Lynn reveals that his friend still wrestles today. Rob Van Dam comes out and confronts Perry, who rolls out of the ring and walks away. RVD does his Rob Van Dam taunt. Perry tries to attack RVD with a chair, but he has hasn't scouted. He goes for the Van Daminator, but uh, Perry rolls out of the ring, and the FTW champion leaves through the crowd. Great segment. Did not expect this to happen. Um, I admit I was a little thrown by this. I didn't expect RVD to appear on AEW because he's a WWE Hall of Famer, but still, it's going to be a nice, interesting thing to see. Although, personally, I would have liked to have seen Jerry Lynn and Jack Perry because, you know, threatening to kick somebody's ass when you're not medically cleared to compete just sounds fucking stupid to to me sounds like a coward's way out like why even do this is is my opinion but you know Rob Van Dam he can still go he still wrestles regularly on the indie scene I know he's done some stuff for Impact Wrestling in the past I'm assuming since he's making an AEW appearance he doesn't really wrestle for Impact Wrestling anymore unless they're still doing that policy thing where they allow their wrestlers to still appear there but I also liked uh, Jack Perry you know using the kid as a shield and kind of climbing through the crowd a little bit thought it was hilarious and I'm intrigued to see where this goes. Then we see a video package highlighting uh, Tony Storm versus Akaru Shida. Tony Storm claiming she's still going to be champion. Shida talking about how she was champion through the pandemic, which I know Elvis used to talk about all the time. So good hype up for the match. I thought both women did a great job with that. And now we move on to the three-way dance anything goes match. We have Trent Beretta versus John Moxley versus Pentagon Jr. with Alex Abrahantes. Okay, this this was a stupid, unnecessary spot fest. First of all, why are they calling this an anything goes, no DQ, no count out, when it's a triple threat match? We've already established in wrestling that a triple threat match is already no disqualification, no count out, anything goes. So why even bring that up? Also, most matches in AEW have those stipulations already. Because I said it before and I'll say it again. AEW does a lot of lazy booking. And the referees are basically just spectators like everybody else. Because that's what AEW loves to do. They bury their referees. Because they see the rules being broken all the time. And they just fucking stand there anyway. The referees never enforce the rules. So why even have them? They're just there to count the pinfall or record the submission. So it's already those rules. So put it... Throw that extra shit in there doesn't make it exciting because the, all the shit that happened in this match with the barbed wire 2x4 and the multiple spots on the thumbtacks that shit was gonna happen no matter what once you hear triple threat match you just expect that shit to happen especially with Moxley in the ring now Trent Beretta got the win which I enjoyed because Moxley hit the paradigm shift but Trent then booted Moxley really hard and pinned Penta for the win which was great and I also like that because Trent Beretta as I said before, he's the one member of the best friends that's actually a great worker and actually deserves a push as opposed to the other two jack-offs that he's with. And obviously, Moxley should not be getting pinned by Trent Barretta in this match because Moxley, regardless of how people feel about him, he is a star in AEW. Penta, he, he's worthless, so you can pin him. But this was just violence for violence sake and it was an excuse for people to bleed and do unnecessary spots. So I didn't find it exciting. And then after the match... You know, Claudio and Wheeler Useless come out, but Chuck Taylor and Pockets intercept them. Then Moxie joins the fight. Trent takes out the Blackpool Combat Club. Chucky e. T throws a chair at Claudio. Pockets drills Moxie with the orange punch. And then they challenge the Blackpool Combat Club to a parking lot brawl at Daly's Place on Rampage. It's on Rampage, so I don't have to waste my time with it. And then we cut to the backstage area with Rob Van Dam, who comments on his AEW debut. This is her Jack Perry running his mouth. He challenges Perry to a match for the FTW. Championship, which I'm excited about until I heard the words next week. That pisses me off, and I'm going to tell you why. Again, again, like I mentioned before with um Punk, talking about the fact that All In is happening and no one's really talking about it. We have a pay-per-view at the end of the month. Why are you putting a legend on free fucking TV? Rob Van Dam, Jack Perry, All In. Common fucking sense. Again, why does Tony Khan insist on pissing 
pissing away great matches on free TV, especially when the pay-per-view is on that same month. All In is August 27th. You're telling me you don't have the ability to drag this out three more weeks. Because if you're telling me that you can't, he can't drag this out three more weeks, he has no fucking business being Booker of the Year. Shit, I've never booked professionally, and I could do that. Rob Van Dam is a fucking star that draws fucking money. Why would you not put that on your biggest pay-per-view? On the biggest night in AEW's history, you're not going to put a legend on that show? What the fuck is wrong with this company? Do they pride themselves on not being taken seriously? It's shit like this that makes people agree with Triple H when he says AEW is a secondary promotion because they constantly fucking act like it. And if you don't believe me, I got more evidence to prove that throughout this fucking show. You're going to waste this on free TV and then you're going to have something shitty for the fucking pay-per-view. And on that note, we cut to an in-ring segment with MJF, ladies and gentlemen. MJF comes to the ring. The crowd chants his name. He says he's a little emotional and he wants to have a heart-to-heart conversation. MJF notes he has ADD and other disorders including rejection-sensitive disorder. He says he can't regulate rejection-based emotions. MJF admits that there's a lot of stuff about him that people don't know, as he has been through a lot. MJF recalls how bullies threw quarters at him and called him a Jew boy. They said, pick it up, Jew boy, pick it up. He says he can still feel the quarters hitting him, and he can hear the laughter. MJF said that day showed him that everyone was a scumbag, and he'd have to stab people in the back to get ahead. He would have to hurt them before they hurt him. MJF said he has started to realize that that's no way to live, and he has become a scumbag himself. He says being a scumbag is easy, but being vulnerable is hard. MJF says he knows it would kill him if he opened up himself to people and got rejected, as it would make him feel the way he did when he was bullied. MJF says he's not scared anymore, and that's because of the fans. He says that they taught him that they care about him. MJF says he won't change overnight. He's still a scumbag, but he is ready to be their scumbag. He gets a he's our scumbag chant from the fans. MJF says Adam Cole helped him see that he deserved a friend. MJF asks Adam Cole to come to the ring and calls him his best friend. Cole comes out and says MJF continues to impress him. He says MJF is one of the best wrestlers in the world. Cole emphasizes that he is impressed by the man MJF is becoming. He tells MJF that he is not alone. Cole says he used to be a jerk because he was scared and he didn't understand what being a man was. He says MJF is becoming the man he is meant to be. Cole tells MJF he and the fans are proud of him. MJF points out that Cole is wearing their new shirt, but says he called him out here for another reason. He says he promised Cole a shot at the world title. MJF says Cole doesn't deserve a match. He clarifies he doesn't deserve just any match. He deserves the match. MJF says Cole deserves to face him in the main event at AEW All In. Cole tells MJF he loves him and they hug. The match graphic is shown on the screen. I'm going to say something right now that most people don't expect but uh, but it's this not only is this the best moment of the entire fucking show but i had tears in my eyes when i saw this now the tears didn't roll down my face i didn't cry but they were there i was somehow able to hold them back but i damn near cried during this segment now at first i hated it because he was talking about the add and the pick it up jew boy pick it up we've already heard this before during the feud with CM Punk. So it felt repetitive. But because he went deeper with the feelings and added all the extra stuff, it meant something. If MJF was going to become a babyface, this is the way to do it. This is how you do a face turn. You admit your wrongdoings and give your repentance. That is a face turn. And when he was talking about like learning how to care, he got that from the fans. I was getting a little annoyed because I was like, dude, come on. It was, it was Adam Cole that did that. But then he mentioned Adam Cole and I was like, okay, he's going on the right track. And then he says, you don't deserve a match. And I'm like, oh my God, they're about to fuck this. Oh my God. But then he says, you don't, and then he mentioned the all in and I was like, oh, thank God. Adam Cole signs the contract and then there was a part of me that felt Adam Cole was going to turn on MJF. And thankfully that didn't happen. And that, in my opinion, is what makes this great. Because MJF is known for stabbing the fans in the back, because Adam Cole claims to have a plan in place when talking to Roderick Strong, 
long, you're waiting for one of these guys to turn on the other. And the anticipation is there. And when it doesn't happen, it makes you happy because you know they're going to keep rolling with this as well they should. I loved this segment so much. Because he even said, look, I'm still a scumbag and I can't change overnight. But I am ready to be your scumbag. Is great. Because it shows that MJF is still going to have his, you know, a bit of attitude, a bit of arrogance. He's still going to have a few jabs he's going to throw out. But he's willing to change for the better. And again, we know at MJF is capable of being a babyface because we've seen glimpses of it. We saw glimpses of it when he was backing up Cody Rhodes before he turned on it. We saw those glimmers of hope when he first told the, the uh, ADD riddled Jew boy thing with CM Punk. We even saw it during the feud with Moxley where William Regal was saying, show me you're ready. He goes, I'm going to earn it. But then William Regal helps him and he turns on everybody again. Now I feel like MJF is ready to be a babyface and here's the thing. It's time. I know MJF is great as a heel, but it's time for him to be a babyface. He's too loved. He's too respected. He's too fucking over. The time is now. And they're doing it the right way with him and Adam Cole. And now MJF has cut the perfect babyface turn promo. We couldn't have asked for a better one. And now him and Adam Cole are going to tear the house down at All In. We finally have a match for All In. It's a fucking miracle. It's a fucking miracle, ladies and gentlemen. We finally have a fucking match for the fucking card. And I hope to God... Over the, over the next few weeks, they finally start putting matches together, but I'm hoping they're matches that are actually going to be worth it and not make it look like Tony Khan is throwing darts at a fucking chart and just throwing random shit together. Put shit that's going to make fucking sense. This is a all-in worthy match. The only thing that would make it better is if they set it up to where it can't end in a draw. Like, make it an Iron Man match or some shit like that. So that way, there's a definitive winner when it's over. And hopefully, this doesn't end with one of these two going heel. Although it looks like Roderick Strong, who's pissed off, I think Roddy's going to have something to do with this. If there's any fuckery in this match, I think it's going to come from Roderick Strong. That's what I think is going to happen. Because he seems like he's losing his mind over the fact that MJF and Adam Cole are friends. Because backstage, he throws a temper tantrum, and then the kingdom show up and say, Cole always forgets about his real friends, and blah, blah, blah. So I have a feeling Roderick Strong might do something to try to fuck this up, if anything. But I feel like this is going to be a match two great baby faces and in the end we're gonna see these guys get the respect that they deserve and then after this we got the cancer cells we'll skip over them although hangman talks about apparently they've re-signed with AEW and Omega says whether it's Dynamite Rampage ROH or Collision fans will see much more of them which is weird so I have this strong weird feeling that the elite's somehow gonna show up on Collision so I think I have to address this because part of the reason Collision was created was to separate these guys from CM Punk because they can't coexist together. So what I'm getting out of this is, are they going to try to build to the Elite versus CM Punk and FTR at All In, which is a match that needs to fucking happen. It needs to be won and done, get it out of the way, and use that for Wembley Stadium, and then they can move on and do something else for All Out. But if they're not going to go to Collision or they're not going to make that match, then that was a stupid thing for Kenny Bated to fucking say. Next, we cut to a promo video where AR Fox explains that he turned on Darby Allen because Darby never thanked him for helping him land an AEW. Strickland says the Mogul Embassy takes care of their own. He plays a video of himself and AR Fox going to Nick Wayne's gym and attacking him. They beat Wayne up to the point that he's bleeding. They use Allen's phone to call Allen. Strickland asks him why he couldn't call Fox years ago. Strickland tells Allen they're the ghosts of his past and they're going to haunt him. Okay. Uh, I guess that's a reason. You know, AR Fox, you know, wanting gratitude, which I get. You know, this is a guy who did everything for Darby Allen. Darby Allen even said that without AR Fox, there wouldn't be a Darby Allen, which isn't one reason not to like AR Fox. But um, yeah, I guess I'd be mad too if he didn't thank him, but also for the fact that, you know, Darby shoving him on live TV and trying to lecture him on what to do. That would piss me off as well. But um, hopefully this is going to lead to AR Fox getting a better push. And I don't know this is going to lead to him and Darby Allen squaring off at All In, or if they're going to do something where it's going to be um, Darby Allen and Nick Wayne against Strickland and AR Fox at All 
all in and then maybe at all out they have a one-on-one match Darby versus Fox at least that's what I would do um I would probably do that or unless they don't want Nick Wayne to travel have the one-on-one match at all in and the tag match at all out either way that'll be something to pull I mean granted I'm not a huge Nick Wayne fan because I feel like he still has a lot to learn he's very sloppy but because they've already included him in this by you know busting him open in, in, his, in, his, in his father's gym and breaking that picture of him and his dad storyline wise you can't not have Nick Wayne involved so that's what I would do have a singles match with between Allen and Fox and then have the tag match at all in or all out whichever one you want to pick and then maybe have and then maybe they might do Strickland and Wayne in a rematch which if I was Strickland I don't know if I would fucking go for that because like I said Nick Wayne still has a lot to learn and hopefully he's got some credible coaches sitting him down and telling him straighten up your fucking up but apparently that's too much to ask for in AEW on that note we move on to the next match of the evening for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Titles Aussie Open defend the titles against El Hijo del Vicino and Commander with Alex Abrahantes okay I got a few things to say about this number one why are the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Titles being defended on AEW Ring of Honor has its own show this doesn't need to fucking be here this is a waste of time number two this was the worst match of the night it was a glorified spot fest with four spot monkeys who don't deserve to work anywhere in wrestling commander who's fucking garbage Vikingo is garbage Aussie open they're fucking garbage this was literally a bunch of fake shit for the sake of fake shit and the only people who enjoy this are wrestling fans who acknowledge that wrestling is fake and I know this because they say wrestling is fake as a way to defend this shit which is why I don't respect modern day wrestling fans or internet fans for that matter that endorse this fucking crap. This was crap. From top to bottom this was crap. There was not one great moment in this whole fucking match and again, it's the Ring of Honor tag match it didn't need to fucking be here. They could have put this stupid shit on Ring of Honor this was goddamn ridiculous. Aussie Open hit double clotheslines and a Borellis for the win to retain their titles. I-, I don't fucking care. Everything about this match made me fucking angry. Literally everything about this fucking match. I couldn't find one positive. Not one. That's why it's the worst match of the night. You know, there were other matches that were were goddamn ridiculous, but I could find some positives in them. In this, there's fucking nothing. It's a disgrace to pro wrestling that this was even shown. And on that note, we're gonna move on to the main event of the evening for the AEW Women's Championship. Tony Storm with Soraya and Ruby Soho defends the title against Hikaru Shida. This was this was a good match. I wouldn't call it a stellar main event, but it was good. You know, Tony Storm and Shida both delivered. Um, the only thing I didn't enjoy was the finish. I'm not again. I wasn't a big fan of the spray paint thing. You know, Shida gets spray painted while the referee's distracted, but she is still able to reverse the pin attempt and pin Storm to win to retain the title. What is the point in spray painting her in the fucking face if she's gonna go fucking over? That's stupid to me. You were better off missing with the spray paint. You might as well do something where it would have been better if they went to spray paint Sheeta. Sheeta ducked. They hit Tony by mistake, and then Sheeta rolled her up one, two, three. That would be a better finish, and it would protect Tony Storm better. Because then she could be mad at the outcasts for fucking her over unintentionally. But instead, they did this. And here's what makes me angry. Because this is another example of AEW not knowing how to book properly. And how they treat stars in the company disgusts me. Because you had fucking Taya Valkyrie, who knows how to work, is over, has been to multiple promotions, and can draw money. And yet, you fuck her over in the TBS championship, not once but twice, and instead hand the belt to Chris Statlander, who's only popular in one bubble. Nobody else outside of that bubble knows who she is or gives a single fuck. You then had her in the match with Tony Storm. You, you fuck Taya in that. And what do you do? You give it to fucking Sheeta. Again, someone who's only popular in the bubble, but outside of the bubble, no one gives a single fuck. This is so Sheeta can have a moment with the fans because she was champion during the pandemic. So we're going to fuck Tony Storm in favor of Sheeta. This is what AEW does constantly. They fuck over their money drawing talent in favor of indie marks who don't draw money. This is why AEW is considered a secondary promotion. That's why people look at this as a glorified indie fed because it's booked the way indie outlaw mud shows are booked because only in an indie 
the Outlaw Mud Show, would you take a talent that will draw you money and job them to somebody who won't? Because in some indie promotions, they have the big star lose sometimes because that big star isn't a regular in that promotion. So sometimes they'll have him go over the person in there because that person's going to be there every week in that indie show. But if they were on fucking national TV on a global scale where that big star is there on a regular basis, they wouldn't do that. Never in a billion years would they do that. This was a stupid finish and they gave the wrong person the title. And in doing so, you just fucked the outcasts. Because you took a woman who draws money, that ass Tony Storm, and gave it to someone like Sheeta who doesn't draw money, whose promo skills are shit, and does the same old Japanese strong style no sell bullshit that every other Japanese wrestler fucking does. This was stupid, this was pointless, and it was a shitty end to what was overall a decent episode of Dynamite. But this pissed me off immensely because you had a great heel run that came to a shitty end. Alright, now ladies and gentlemen, we'll wrap up this recap of a I thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. You can check out the recap we did of Money in the Bank, which is going to be on the uh, Boochcast Facebook page uh, a little later on today. Um, recently uh, Wens, Dez, and myself we recorded uh, the recap of Money in the Bank and our predictions for SummerSlam. Wens decided to put them on separate videos, which I did not expect that. I thought it was going to be all one video. But the recap of Money in the Bank is already out. Uh, our predictions for WWE SummerSlam that's going to be dropping soon as well. He said within the next day or two it should come out so make sure you guys check all of those out they'll both be on the Boochcast Facebook page and it's very much a must see video or videos I should say also make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast get the latest tweets photos and videos you can check out the uh, promos we did for the SummerSlam watch party those are on the uh, Facebook Twitter and Instagram pages but check out the ones on Twitter and Instagram they're uh, interesting ones to listen to or watch and you can also visit our youtube channel check out all of our youtube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted also make sure you're following us on twitch go to twitch.tv slash the boochcast that's where we do our live wrestling watch parties our next watch party will be this saturday august the 5th for wwe SummerSlam. make sure you join us for the biggest party of the summer at la casa de dagenhart also we have our live dnd show coming soon our Boochcast booking battle another special project in the works and you can also support the Boochcast by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support become a supporter of the Boochcast support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes we have three levels we can donate at pick the one that works the best within your budget we have our first level which is 99 cents one dollar per month we have our second level which is 4.99 five dollars per month the same amount of money you would pay for a peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than the Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final love we can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99. $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold the Peacock, you got to where to put that $9.99. $10.99. Bring it over here. We got better content than the network and unlike Endeavor, we actually care about our fans are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option to pay with your credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment, we used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and believes it will be paid for their hard work, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles, and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat.
take care. Stay loose. Adieu, bon vieux. A la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.